0: You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. I actually need to start off uh, today's sermon by going back and revisiting something I said last week, Um, and I need to kind of balance it. Um, Last week, and actually it was during the offering, I brought a talk about Malachi chapter 3, and in that passage, the Israelites had stopped giving. They had stopped tithing um, to God. And God, in response to them, said, hey, if you do this, I'm going to open up the windows of heaven of blessing on you, and then but then God doesn't stop there. He actually goes on in verse 11 of that. He says, "I will actually prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vi- and the vines of the fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe." The point I was making is not only does God do positive things, He prevents bad things from happening, and the idea that there's a cause and effect relationship quite often um, in these types of things. I believe that with all my heart. I do. But there's a danger in taking those truths too far. And the danger is, 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 rest in this, is that God does not operate under formulas. So, yes, there's a cause and effect, but we cannot force God to do something by us. doing. It. So, so we need to be careful. I need, I need to say that. Here's the other thing, though. Tragic things can still happen even when we follow the rules. Many of you have experienced that in your own life. As your pastor, I never want to give you simplistic answers to life's greatest challenges. I want to be able to deal with things truthfully and honestly and recognize that sometimes there's just a lot of things we don't understand and Ironically, uh, we'd already planned for this morning to talk about this, uh, this various issue, this idea of what happens when tragedy hits. Today is part one in a three-part series where we attempt to provide some insight into some of life's most challenging questions. And so each week, we're going to address two questions. Today, the two questions start with the word why. Why? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why does God not answer my prayers? Next week, we're going to ask you two questions that begin with, "What?" What happens when I die?" and what will heaven be like?" In the third week, there are two questions that begin with: "How?" How do I hear from God?" and how do I make wise, God-honoring decisions? So that's what's coming up in the next uh, few weeks. Two things are very important to establish at the very beginning of the series. Given that these are really big questions, and we're attempting to address two of them in a 30-minute time period, there is absolutely no way we can do a deep dive in any of them. Okay, so that's, that's just part of it. My task, and what I'm going to try to help with, is all right, how do I provide some context for how do we as Christ followers need to think about these issues? I'm not going to be able to explore all the avenues and all the aspects of them. Broadly speaking, here's how we should look at this and approach this and understand this. So there's these... The other thing... Um, that I wanted to kind of establish up front is that these days there often seems to be more questions than answers. And many of them are, um, we're trying to understand life. We're just, we're, not, we're just trying to navigate and get through and, and, and just, just trying to stay on top of things. And at the same time, our culture offers a multitude of answers, many of them in direct conflict with what is given to us in the Bible. So when we come to times like this when we don't understand, we need to always come back to what the Bible tells us. We need to anchor ourselves to his unchanging truths. Okay, so that's the little context. So let's just jump in. Question, first question is, Why would a God who is all good, all knowing, and all powerful allow bad things to happen to good people? I think I need to point out the fact that this notion of asking why is natural. Um, it's actually part of, the, it's what, part of what makes us human. We want to understand things. Now, behind this question is the idea that a good God would not be part of something that is bad. Thus, there must be fault on the part of the person when tragedy strikes. Now, we see this in the Bible frequently. In the Old Testament, the person of Job. Any of you have read that? Job has some significant tragedy come with him. So what, and, But notice that his friends come along to try to help him. Um, and what, but what's their posture? You must have done something wrong. It must be you. In the New Testament, in the book of John, John chapter 9, Jesus is out walking with his disciples and they see a person who has been um, born. He was born blind. Who's so been blind since birth? And you recall what they asked him in this the question: Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? See, so we, we want we the, our natural default is that if something bad happens, there must be a reason for this. And quite often we kind of look at, all right, who's responsible? We want to find someone to blame. We want to find someone to, but we, we see that not just in this, we see that's it's, it's, it's how our culture responds. I think it's actually multicultural. I think that's just human nature. We want to assign blame. We want to understand who's responsible uh, in order to take of the appropriate action. In those situations, it's important to us, again, to ask the, the very important question, what does the Bible actually say about things like this? So in this regard, why do, and I'm summarizing that longer question, why do bad things happen to good people? One of the things the Bible does tell us is that Jesus said that we would have trouble in this world. Literally, John 16, in this world you will have trouble. The Bible makes it quite clear that faith in Jesus Christ does not guarantee a perfect life, but a perfect eternity. In fact, in his letters, Paul seems to talk more about struggle than he does about success and ease. I love the 23rd Psalm. How many of you are familiar with that? We, most, many of us learned it as a child. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's off to a good start. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. How nice does that sound? He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. It sounds wonderful, doesn't it? The very next verse. (laughs) Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. What happened to the green pastures? You know why, why, we, were do, we were doing so well. And now we're... <sighs> but then he says, For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We are never promised a problem-free existence, but what he did promise was his presence. Let me add also as well, this is not a question of faith. Okay? Um, there's a verse in Hebrews that says, Without faith is it impossible to please God. <clears throat> Again, this is in the Bible, so I'm not going to argue against it. But what the risk is that someone takes that statement and comes to an illogical conclusion, which means that if something bad happens, it must be because I don't have enough faith. But God must be displeased with me. And I, I literally heard a pastor say this from the pulpit. His son had died prematurely. And he said, my son died because I did not have enough faith. I just I, I, I just thought that was tragic, number one, that he would carry that with him. He, here, l- listen to this, though. In John chapter 9, so one, in this one chapter, okay, so in verse 2, Uh, Jesus is talking, they're out walking, uh, and uh, some men bring their friend who is crippled to Jesus, okay? So some men brought him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, the group, he said to the man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. So whose faith was acted upon in that moment? The group of men, the friends, okay? 20 verses later. Okay, so now in verse 22, the same chapter. So basically, later on that day, Jesus encounters, he's walking through the crowd, and the women, there's a woman who had been having medical issues for years. They couldn't find the solution. She said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And, and so if you're familiar with that story, and she does. Jesus goes by, and she reaches out and touches him, and it says that she's healed. But Jesus turned to her and sees her, and he says, take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. So whose faith was it that acted? uh, It was the individual's. Okay? Same chapter, little further on, Jesus is out, again, just out with people. So John chapter 9, while they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. Whose faith was acted upon here? We have no clue. It doesn't say. Okay? So we have it literally in the same chapter, we have an instance where it says the, the group's faith caused the person to be healed. Later on, it was the individual's faith that caused it to be healed. And a little further on, we have no clue how faith was involved in this matter. So, I say this to you that, and and that's why I think it's important. Jesus says you only need to have faith the size of a mustard seed. Okay? Um, But I say this to you, I don't want any of us carrying around any guilt that somehow our faith or our, maybe we have some doubt, um, is in some way responsible for adversity. I just, I, I, I don't, I just think it's a dangerous path to go down. I don't think God punish us or, or acts in that way. Um, again, this is, there's no way I can ex- dive much deeper into this at this point in time. Um, but anyways, okay, so, so why is there problems in the world? Why does it happen? Well, first off, this is normal. Um, this is life. And Jesus said we would have trouble. Okay, so, to know that the idea that bad things happen is consistent with what the Bible teaches is important, but it still does not answer the question, why? Yes, this is normal, okay, but why? So the second response to this question is, we live in a fallen world that is yet to be fully redeemed. I could spend hours developing this thought, but I won't. Whew, okay. <clears throat> But what we know is that as a result of Satan and sin, we have the reality of evil playing out in our world. Sickness, disease, war, crime, each of these are byproducts of sin and evil. And unless Jesus returns, they're going to continue. That's just a reality of our fallen world. At the same time, I believe God gives each of us the freedom to choose. And those choices will affect other people. So we have little trouble accepting the fact that God gives us the freedom to choose to do good. We like that idea. And we choose, for instance, like we choose to put our faith in Jesus, we choose to love our neighbor. We choose to turn the other cheek. And more often than not, others benefit when we make good choices. Okay? If we accept that, we also have to accept the other side of that. Is that sometimes people make bad choices. And our repercussions there. If we're willing to accept one, we have to accept the other. If people have the freedom to choose good, they also have the freedom to choose bad. And yes, sometimes innocent people suffer because someone made a bad choice. Our present reality is a fallen world, and that impacts all of us. So whether or not it was someone's choice that impacts us, or sometimes it's just the result of we live in a world that has disease, that has evil, that has other things that we have no control over, it's just part of our reality and existence. The third response to that question is that God grows and refines our faith often through adversity. James 1 He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Have you ever heard anything so ridiculous in your whole life? (laughs) But he says, here's why. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. More often than not, spiritual growth occurs in times of struggle not in times of ease. At the same time, let's be honest, this point doesn't answer the question of why either. Why do bad things happen? However, it does answer the question of what. What what possible positive outcome might there be as a result of this tragic event? What might God want to accomplish because of the circumstances situation? But here's the thing: The answer to that question is always different, depending upon the person and depending upon the situation. Always different. And it never comes right away. They, and I would never presume to tell anyone what good might come out of their tragedy. That's between them and the Holy Spirit. I really get upset, literally get upset when I hear some of the insensitive things people say to others in the midst of tragedy. Don't tell them their loved one is in a better place. Don't tell them God must have a greater purpose in mind. It might be true, but that's not what they need right now. That's not helpful. When we're in the midst of of an event, when we're in the midst of life, we don't need answers i, I Paul terbetsky he's on, on uh, many of you know him at uh Cornelis campus um he, he loves he talked about this idea of a ministry of presence you just be there you know you 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 find something to do to be helpful you don't have to provide answers my observation is we try to provide answers because it makes us feel better i feel better if i can give you an it's an awkward situation i don't know what to say So let me say something, and okay, I feel better because I said that's not better for them. Sometimes just be quiet. Give them a hug. Let them know you love them. Just be there. So why do bad things happen to some and not to others? Why is one person healed from cancer and another person isn't? Why do some people draw closer to God in the midst of tragedy and others turn their back on Him completely? I don't know. I really don't. I I wish I could say in every situation, here's why. But in the midst of those uncertainties, in the midst of those situations, I hold on to these statements as absolute truths. One, God is good. God is good. I don't care what's happening around me, that that is my default that God is good. Second default for me is that God loves me. Whatever these circumstances are, it's not because He's mad at me or anger at me or He's punishing me for something. Um, God loves me. Number three, God will never leave me nor forsake me. He will never leave me nor forsake me. And lastly, Nothing can stop God from accomplishing his purposes in my life. Regardless of what the circumstances are, God will always accomplish his purposes in me. If I, my, my feeling is if I hold to these truths, I'm going to get to the other side. I don't know necessarily know what the outcome is, and I'm not saying that it's going to become easier. I just know that those things are non-negotiable for me. God is good. God loves me. God will never leave me nor forsake me, and nothing can stop God from accomplishing his purposes in my life. 2 Corinthians 4 says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are washing away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So now that we've addressed that question, uh, we're going to jump from the frying pan into the fire. And we're going to look at the second question. Why does a God who is all knowing and all powerful not answer my prayers? They are related, aren't they? When crisis comes, we pray. We need answers, so we cry out to God. But the hard fact of the matter is that while most of us pray, prayer does not always seem to work. At times, the heavens seem to be silent. When our prayers are not answered, we question the effectiveness of prayer, which in turn causes us to question God's ability. And ultimately, we find ourselves even questioning our own faith. So it's an important question to ask. And it's important that we have at least some sense of perspective on this. So why doesn't God always answer our prayers? In contrast to why do bad things happen to good people, the fact is the Bible does give us a little bit more insight as to why our prayers aren't always answered. One of the reasons why... (coughs) is that times prayers are not answered because they are not aligned to God's will. Matthew 26:39. Jesus himself is praying. So Jesus is praying, Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. He's talking about his crucifixion. So this is while he was in the garden, right before he's going to be arrested. May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So sometimes there's the sense of God has something else in mind for us. And that's part of that. There's part of the, what God might have in mind is that he's got a bigger plan. He's got something else in mind that we don't even know about. Isaiah says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So sometimes God is just at work, and we're not even we're not we don't have the viewpoint, the perspective. That's what that might be. Sometimes God's not answering, you know, because we're our request is actually contrary to His will. Um, sometimes they're selfishly motivated. James four says, "When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures." So sometimes. God is silent, um, or God's will is. Or he, he's. We're, we're asking something that's contrary to His will because it's selfishly and motivated. And sometimes it's just a matter of timing. First Peter five six. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. I hate waiting. <laughs> I get impatient waiting for the microwave. Yeah, no, really, two minutes. It's it's frozen solid, and I've got to wait two minutes. Like, come on. In uh, shortly after I finished grad school, we had uh, I think uh, yeah, two. Peter was just born, so we had three kids at that point in time: five, two, and a newborn infant. And uh, we found ourselves. We were living in Minnesota, um, out in the country. Uh, it, we had this huge, 30 days after we moved there, we had a 36-inch snowstorm. It took them three days to actually get to our road with uh, not, not just a plow. They actually had to get a front-end loader to dig out the drifts. It was that bad. And so we best referred to that season of our life of living in a frozen, barren wasteland. Um, <laughs> it was not her favorite uh, season of life. But uh, we are waiting for that next Door to open. Where is God leading us? I'd finished grad school. We, the next door had not opened up yet. And just really questioning God, I've, I am ready to go. Why? I've got this training, I've got this experience. I'm ready. Wherever you want us to go, we'll go. And instead, we just sat, sometimes literally in a snowbank. And uh, <laughs> it was an incredibly difficult season for us. Um, we just didn't understand. But I, I came across a book, and to be honest with you, I couldn't tell you the title. Actually, is entitled Waiting. I, I just remembered. Waiting, what to do when God seems silent. Is that it? Finding hope. Finding hope when God seems silent. Thank you. Um, who wrote it? Ben Patterson. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> ben Patterson. Obviously had an impact on both of us. So, uh, <laughs> There's one sentence in the book that for me was worth the whole, the whole thing. Just as important as what we wait for, is what we become while we wait. <sighs> it didn't change any of the circumstances. Nothing changed. We were still living in Minnesota, but everything changed. Okay, just that little shift of perspective was all I needed to get us through that, that season of life. Sometimes it's a matter of timing. Sometimes it's a matter of just shifting. And this whole idea of God's will, sometimes is just us shifting our perspective, even just a, a fraction of a degree, that says, okay, I get that. And I can live with that. <clears throat> Sometimes our prayers aren't answered because God himself is is a greater answer than the things for which we are asking. Paul talks about in his letter to the Corinthians... Again, he words this in a way that, if it was me, I don't know that I would say it, but Paul's very blunt. He says things in a way that are sometimes that really strike uh, contrast as far as what point he's trying to make. He says, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, maybe he's very self-aware, maybe... But I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Here's the thing. You have to come to that point by yourself. No one can tell you to behave that way. You know what I'm saying? No one can determine. They might suggest, hey, read Paul, read Corinthians and see what Paul says, but no one can actually instruct you that you have to arrive to that point yourself of coming to terms with what your situation is and circumstances. Paul had not done anything wrong. He was not being punished. God will use points of need to draw us into a deeper relationship with himself. Number three, at times prayers are not answered due to sin in our lives. Sometimes that is that is a reality. Let me say this though. If you're wondering if sin's the reason for it, it's not. Okay? And what I mean by that is if there's a sin if there's something there, you'll know. The Holy Spirit will tell you, will point, it'll come to mind and you'll know. There's something here. If you're wondering, you're okay. Does that make sense? You don't have. To, God doesn't play games with us. He doesn't. He, he, he'll. If there's an issue, you'll know. You'll know. Number four. At times, prayers are not answered because God's will is being directly contested by the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Paul was writing to the the group in in Thessalonica in his first letter he says for we wanted to come to you certainly i paul did again and again but satan blocked our way now i don't know what that looks like you know i don't know if there's a i don't think there's a physical manifestation of satan literally blocking the road but clearly, Paul said, there's something else going on here besides the practical circumstances. There's, there's some spiritual forces at play here. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil and of the heavenly realms. So sometimes our prayers are not answered. Because there's a war going on. There's a battle being fought. And sometimes our lives are in the middle of that. So why are prayers not answered? <clears throat> the possible reasons are varied. And in the moment, it's often difficult to know. Can I say this as well? Is that why questions? Well, I think it's appropriate for the sermon, and that's, I'm not critiquing that. As a practical matter, they're not helpful. Because there's rarely an answer. I think my encouragement would be that if you find yourself in a situation that's very challenging or unknown, that we ask what questions? What What might God want to accomplish in the midst of this? What might God want to do in me as a result of this? Or how? How might God want to restore this person, or how might God want to do that? What it does, why questions are all about me. And usually they're questions that don't have answers. What questions to put the focus out on the circumstance and setting and allows us to think a little bit more objectively about it? Now I realize in the moment, you may not be able to ask that, but in time, those are the questions that will help us recover and maintain balance in a sense of dealing with these things in a healthy way. We serve an almighty God creator of heaven and earth who exists outside of time and space. The idea that we should be able to understand everything about God borders on the edge of arrogance. And to be honest, what does it say about a God who can be completely understood by his creation. It's not very much, is it? Doesn't, there's not, that doesn't put this God in a very positive light. So instead of asking why, ask what? Ask how? Ultimately, each of us must come to a place like the writer of the book of Habakkuk. It says, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines... Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this chance we've had to uh, explore some very difficult questions. and At the same time, recognizing that, for some of us here today, these are not theoretical or theological exercises. Uh, these are our realities. And Lord, for those, my deepest prayer is that you would bring comfort in the midst of their struggle. Lord, that they would feel your presence in very tangible ways. Lord, they may they see evidence of your love and mercy in their life. Even today, may they recognize it. Sometimes, Father, we can't change the circumstances. But, Lord, we can. We can expect your presence. We can fully expect you to walk with us through the valley, the shadow of death. Lord, we need that. We depend on that. So, Lord, for any who are experiencing that today, God, I ask that that would be their experience. That they would find you, Lord. That they would sense you in the midst of their pain in the midst of their struggle. Father, for those of us who may not be going through such a season, may we be sensitive to those who are. May we look for opportunities to be the hands and feet of Jesus to our, our brothers and sisters. That we together would be a community that, that celebrates 50 years of marriage but also walks along, alongside someone who is struggling and having a difficult season. Lord, may we be the kind of people that really are manifestations of your love and mercy. So, Lord, we continue to thank you for what you're doing in our lives. We're thankful that you don't leave us where you find us, that you're always at work in us. You're always wanting to transform us into the image of your son, Jesus. And for that, we're grateful. And for that, we give you praise. Lord, that is our ongoing hope and expectation. Lord, in us with that, we just commit all these things to you now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.